Well, happy Mother's Day, and if uh, you're not a mom, happy to you as well. We're grateful that you're here today, and really what we want to do today is press into a place where God has us. Our heart is open, we're thinking about other people, and I believe God wants to do a work. If you're a mom here today, thank you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I'm grateful for you. You know, over the last few months, we've been trying to pray into a new place as a church. Before service, we were in room one praying. If you want to come at 8.50 or 8.35, we want to pray for God to move powerfully. But we've been praying that, that moms and dads and children alike would receive something from this church. A salvation experience, a revelation from God and transformation. If you're here today, you should understand that we're seeing that happen. We're seeing even people move from different sections because that's where they want to be. And that's what God is doing at this church. And it's not because of the music. It's not because of the message. I was sitting here praying. It was because we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We can clap for Jesus. And over the last few weeks, we come after Easter with kind of an apologetic, somewhat apologetic is understanding why we believe what we believe. We come to an apologetic mindset of why do we believe what we believe? The first week we talked about Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he truly Lord? And we looked at some of the things that he was talking about. And then we talked about hell and what we believe on hell and how God works and how what Jesus spoke. And last week we talked about this sonship covenant. We are adopted and we are born as a son of the most high God. Even if you're a female, he wants to raise you up and say, I want to give you the first rights of that firstborn, like Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the truth of struggles or suffering. And I know that sounds weird for Mother's Day, but mothers struggle. They raise the kid and then they release him and hope that they've done a good job. They have a special bond. So today I, we're going to talk about struggles, and I got a really powerful story that we're going to tell, and it kind of goes through this emotional roller coaster. And I, I, I'll be honest, yesterday at about 11 o'clock, I was on my knees crying as I was telling the story. So if it gets really emotional, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm not sorry, because I believe that's what God wants to communicate today. Last week, as we were talking about the sonship, we become Christians, we, we accept Jesus Christ, and the chains come off, and we're no longer a slave to sin. But here's the problem. We need to go to a door and open up the door and say, there's something more for me. And I walk out the door, and in that door, there's that song, Freedom Reigns in this place. I experience freedom. And after I open the door, I get this white light, and I come into what we call this sonship covenant. And from that moment when I open up the door and I'm truly free, I'm the son of the most high God. Even if you're a female, I'm, I'm, I'm the firstborn. And I open up and then God draws me into his presence. And that's really what the sonship covenant is. That we all get, to get, we all get the rights of the firstborn. And that's what he wants to do. This is our inheritance. It's a powerful, bountiful life with Christ in this sonship covenant. Because what Christ did on the cross, that is our inheritance. What he did and how he's accomplished in this world, that's what we join in with. That's what we get from him. However you like that, that's the blessing of who we have. What Christ has accomplished has now been transferred into us. Now we have this sonship covenant, and now we can live a different, powerful, bountiful, 
beautiful life. Our inheritance is Jesus. Who he was, what he is to us, and what he will be in the future is us and, and, and is our inheritance. That's what we receive with God. And last week, the last verse that we had in Romans 8, 17 kind of starts today's message. It says, now we're children of God. Last week we talked why I believe I'm a child of God, that I'm adopted, and we use the adoption as the metaphor into this. Why do I believe I'm a child of God? Well, I'm adopted, and I have this sonship. And at the very end, the last verse we use, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If that's true... The Apostle Paul says, then indeed we will share in this suffering in order that you may also share in his glory. If you truly believe you're a child of God, you've made a claim that I want to be adopted, I want to be grafted in, I want to be a part of this, then indeed if that's true, if you want to receive the glory, you must join in in the suffering. That sucks. And we'll dig into that a little bit later. When you receive an inheritance... I don't know, there's been people here that have received some inheritance, some really big, some kind of small, some in the negative. But when you receive an inheritance, as we are talking with Jeremy and the group every week, we talk about these messages. When you receive an inheritance, Jeremy's saying you also receive the good, but the bad also. If you've ever received some money, the money comes out and it's going to be $100,000 when you think, and then you get down to it and the taxes and all the bills, it's like, uh, it's 12 bucks. That's the kind of inheritance I always receive. I used to $12 check. Sorry, guys. Uh, stay around for a while, actually. But when you receive an inheritance, you receive all the good and you receive all the bad. If you receive a piece of property and you're like, praise God, I got this place in North Dakota. It's gonna got, hopefully it's got gold in them hills, right? You also receive the property in North Dakota. And you got to deal with it. And you got to figure it out. You might receive this big, beautiful house. It's just an awesome thing. You still got to deal with it, the good and the bad, the bills and the yard work and what's inside of it. Even if it's worth a lot of money, you've got to deal with it. And it's a lot of work. And that's what Christ is trying to communicate to us. And it takes faith. And that brings us to our memory verse. We are trying to learn as a group of people in a church to become more faithful. That's the purpose. We don't come to church so that my mind can be tickled by what somebody says from the pulpit. That's not what church is. That's what we've turned church to be. But what we've come to church is to enhance our faith. Look at other people around and go, I see what God is doing here. If they can do it, I sure can. And that's what faith says. And that's what uh, the Hebrews author writes as a definition of faith. And this is the amplified version. It says, now faith is the assurance, the title deed, this confirmation of things hoped for, this divine guarantee. That's what faith is. The evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact which cannot be experienced by the physical sense. If we have five senses... We need to learn to grow into this sixth sense, this God muscle. We need to learn to work on this God muscle so that you and I can walk through anything in this world. That's what he's saying. It's not by sight, but it's by faith I experience God and all that he is. That's what he wants for us. Now, I want to tell you a story. It's a, the, the book is actually called Aggie, A Woman with No Country. It's a long story. It's a whole book, and I'm going to try and condense this. 
into a, a 15 or 20 minute story. I'm going to weave it in throughout the message. This is a powerful story. Uh, my sister, who's an amazing woman of God, told me this story on her birthday, and it just rocked me as we were hiking on her birthday out in uh, Thousand Oaks. Man, I was on my knees crying, and I, I believe it's to, for, to, for us today. In 1921, a missionary couple, you see him right here, David and Sevia Flood from Sweden chose to go to Africa to live their life on a mission. They went into the Congo, the Belgium Congo, and went to a mission base, and they decided from there they were going to be sent out by God. They met a couple called the Ericsons, another Scandinavian couple. And while they were there, these two couples said, we should go out together. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed at this mission base in Africa. And God moved them to go to this village up the, up the mountain. It was a couple of mile, miles away from the mission base in 1921. That was a long way. And so they went to this place, and there was a village of about 600 people there. And as they went up to this place, they went to the chief of the village who was in charge, and they said, we want to minister to you. We want to love you. We just want to join your community as missionaries would. And you know what the chief said? No, thank you. No white people in our, in our community. It will anger our gods. Please never come back into our, our, our area again. And they shunned them. And never to talk to them again. Well, the couple's like, God sent us to this place. So what they did is about a half mile up on the mountain, they built a hut. I think we have a picture of a hut similar to what they built. These are the kind of huts that they lived in. These families, these two families built a hut, and this is what they lived in. Now, they prayed earnestly, God, you brought us here, you brought us to Africa, you told us to go to this village, and now you've shunned us, and they're praying for breakthrough. Day in and day out, they prayed, and nothing happened. The only communication that they had with this village was with this little boy. He was about nine years old, and all he did was once a week, the chief said, you can go in and sell him, sell them chicken and eggs for provision. So once a week, for several weeks, this little boy would come and he would spend about three minutes and they'd sell the stuff. And this lady, Sylvia Flood, decided one day, if this is the only person that we're going to communicate, I'm going to minister to him. Now, I don't know about you, as an adult ministering to a nine-year-old doesn't seem super great. That's why most of you are in here and there's only two people in the kids right now. But this woman had a heart. And starts ministering to this young man. And over the next few weeks, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But that was it. Over the next year, nothing else happened. Not that that one soul wasn't worth it. It was worth it. But nothing else happened. And as they were out there waiting to see God move and break down this village and let the glory of God come, nothing happened. And all four of them received malaria. And the other couple, the other Scandinavian couple that was part of this was so sick, they were called the Ericsons, that they said, we can't take it. The malaria is so bad, we have to go back to the base and get medical attention. So they left them up there. During this time, of course, you're in a hut by yourself alone. You get pregnant. So Sylvia, Sylvia got pregnant and had a child in the desert in Africa. Now listen, the malaria hurt her deeply before she had a child, and the pregnancy was so tough and so hard, she couldn't take it, and the stamina, after 17 days of, of prayer and fasting and, 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 and healing, she died after the birth. 
And instantly, the husband David snapped. He was bitter, he was angry, and he was frustrated. He, he dug a crude grave, a shallow grave, barely worthy of a dog or an animal, and put her in there and took this baby, asked the man to take his stuff, and they trekked down the mountain back to the mission base. Never to step foot in Africa again. He came to the Ericsons who left a couple of months earlier, and he says, God has ruined my life. Here's the kid. I'm gone. He's rejecting God's call, and he's rejecting God because he believed that God is ruining his life. Let's get back to the story today so that we can use this as a launching pad for today's message. In the Bible, there's a book called Peter. Peter was the, the, the guy that, that was going to the, the, be the guy that the church was built on. And in the church and the way that he lived his life, it says the gates of hell weren't going to uh, uh, destroy him. And today we have to believe that, that even in the midst of suffering, that God can do a beautiful work. So if you're able to stand, we're going to read from 1 Peter 4. It's a very common, powerful verse that we've used in, in, in Scripture before. And so we want to use this verse to minister to us on Mother's Day. So here's what it says. 1 Peter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials. Instead, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing the glory when it's revealed to the end of the world. It's a very common verse. But today, it's going to be a very un uncommon message for all of us. If you're willing, will you just bow your heads and ask God to start speaking to us? build our salvation, reveal his heart to us, and continue the transformation process. Father, we know that you are good. We know that your grace is enough. We thank you for all that you are, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. We ask for your glory to shine in us and through us. We thank you for the mothers. We ask for you to work in our life. Speak deeply to us. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Peter's writing a general letter at the end, as he's coming to the end of his life, they're telling, write this letter. And there was all kinds of letters going around to the church from the apostles. Some of the letters were taken by the Holy Spirit and put into the Bible. This one was a general letter, and it would be sent to a church in Camarillo, California, and they were to open up and read this. Uh, Peter 4 talks about suffering and how we are Christians, and to live for God is to suffer. And that's what he's communicating. Do you really know what it means to follow Jesus? That's why we're doing this series. Do you really understand what it means for you and I and me and my girls and my wife and my little dog Clover to follow Jesus? I don't think we understand that. I think a lot of times we go to church and we hear a message and we say, most of the time, yeah, that was good, but it's not for me. All of that wasn't for me. That was for the person next to me. Did you see them? They need that. Do you understand that that message is for all Christians? When you believe in him, what is he going to bring into your life? What is your concept of who this God of the universe is? If it's not what you just read, somebody has lied to you from the pulpit. Or somebody hasn't pointed you to the Bible. Because the Bible tells us 
that in him, our inheritance, as we become adopted heirs of, of the Son of the Most High God, that we receive suffering as part of who he is. Do you understand that? A lot of us become, take this in the most loving way, whiners and complainers. And don't experience things very well for God, and it's a terrible testimony as Christians. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when we hear this message of what Jesus is, we kind of get into this concept. And here's the general concept of the world in America or the American church and what we're going to get in Jesus. I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, this little light of mine, and God's going to bless me. Whatever that is, and I say that a lot, God bless us, but whatever that is, God's going to bless us. Most of the time we don't understand when God's blessing us, but he's going to bless us and we believe that. And that's true. He also is going to protect us. We know that the Bible says he's here to protect us. And he also wants, we believe, to ease all of our circumstances. And that is all true. But here's the last thing that we believe. We believe that when, when Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, basically he dotes on us like we're little toddlers. Have anybody watched a toddler recently? My little nephew? Yeah, you have. Yeah, you're in right in the middle of it. Sorry about that. Motherhood's great, isn't it? Amen. My little godson, uh, Sawyer, I can watch him for about 36 seconds because he's gone. And then you're going, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't put your fingers in there. But that's how we want God to work in our lives, right? We want God to dote on us like we're a, a toddler for the rest of our life. Jeff, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't drink that. Don't use that. Don't say that, Jeff. Get back in and pull them out of the trouble, right? When they're getting ready to fall, you pull them off the thing and say, don't do that. We stay down here, honey. And that's what we want our relationship with God is. Listen, has anybody ever seen a kid that's 18 or 28 or 48 that's still being doted over by their parents? It's not healthy. that's you today, welcome. <laughs> that's not what God, our relationship with God is. Our relationship is so much more. To some extent, everything I said is true. Everything I said about God is true. All of those things, he does want to dote on us, but he also wants to grow us. He, he does want to work in our life, but he wants to give us something greater. It seems like in our text today that it says, if you don't join in the suffering in the verse from last week and in the verse from this week, you're going to miss out on half, if not more, of the relationship of Christ. Why would I come to a God and only use half? This is the only place I don't want a 50% discount. I want, a, I want the fullness of God, and suffering is part of it that makes me complete in my testimony. I hope that makes sense for you. Hardship is normal for Christian lives. And, and the apostle uh, Peter says, surprise, why are you acting so surprised? Here's what it says. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Why are you being surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through, as if something was strange happening? What is fiery trials? Anybody ever burnt their hand in the fire? Doesn't feel good. But fire represents the holiness of God in the Old Testament and his presence. At the altar, the fire would come and take all the offerings. And it was the presence and holiness of God. In the fiery trials, you and I have the ability to grow and be refined and experience the holiness of God. These fiery trials are for you and me. They're painful 
but they're refining. And he says, don't be surprised. This is going to happen. And he wants that to happen. God promises that our struggles shape us. That's his promise. If you believe that he's the potter and I'm the, I'm the clay and he's going to mold us, sometimes he just goes, I need to start over. I know he did that with me. And I'll be honest, it hurt. It was painful. But when he starts molding and shaping, 15 years later, you experience something completely different and you feel better about what God is doing. Our growth comes in no other way. The more pain I experience as a, a Christian, the more I want to draw close to him. And I want to get out of this pain but he wants me to walk through this pain and be a testimony to other people. Don't be surprised. The Lord wants to give you more than comfort. You know, he's building character in you and me when we go through trials, these fiery trials. And what character does he want? He wants you to be like Christ. He sent Christ in as an example to say, in this situation, be an example. Look at what my son did and be like Christ. He suffered, so will we, and it won't be in vain. Here's probably the greatest quote that I have for you today. I, tweet, I, I posted it on, um, on, on Thursday or something when I was studying this. It's from Wayne Stiles, and this is a powerful quote. Uh, if you want to look at it, it says, Our brief life is the only time in all eternity when we can glorify God in the midst of our struggles. This time on earth, this is the only time that we will have the ability to glorify God in the midst of our struggles. When we get to heaven, all that's gone. No more tears, no more pain, no more body issues, no more bills. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is our time. Let me get back to the story. So David has come down to the mountain. Now he's on a boat back to Sweden. His daughter... She's on her own. He's named her this Sweden name, Ania, but he doesn't even know her. He wasn't even there a couple of days, and he's given her to this Erickson family. But here's the thing. Within eight months of the Ericksons receiving this child, they died. Someone in the village that they were around poisoned them because they died within days of each other. So now this poor kid that was, was adopted by this couple, now they have died. In this mission base, there was an American family named the Bergs. They knew the story about their father and Sevilla flood. And they knew how the Ericsons were poisoned and died. And they said, we will take this girl. We will love her, but we don't like her name. This Swedish name, Ania, they changed to Aggie, which is, a, I guess, an American name. I don't know. I only know the Aggies in Texas. So that's the only name I've ever heard, Aggie. But welcome, Aggie, if you're here. I don't know if you're here. So the Bergs take them, they take this beautiful girl, and after three years on the mission field, they come back to uh, America. They go to North Dakota, and they raise this child in Christ's way. They love this child. They bless the child. They've always told this child who she was and who her parents were. She never was ever uh, away from that story. Now... When she graduated from high school in North Dakota, she was accepted to a Bible college. Obviously, this couple was filled with God's love and grace, and they put her into a Bible college in Minnesota, and she met this man named Dewey, and Dewey and her got married as, as she was in college, and Dewey got a job as a pastor, and they were now called Hearst, Aggie Hearst. 
Now, in the ministry, they had a very fruitful, small ministry that God was doing, and Dewey became a very powerful pastor in that region. So much so that as their ministry grew and they had a couple of kids, he was taken from that area and put into Seattle to become the president of a Christian college, which was a great thing for him. He was going to make a steady income. He wasn't going to have to do all the normal work as a pastor, and he was going to actually speak and teach the gospel. So Aggie and Dewey moved to... um, Seattle, and here's the thing about Seattle. In the area that they went into, there was this whole Sweden or Scandinavian kind of community there. And one of the colleges had uh, like a whole Sweden slash Scandinavian cultural expert that was on staff. And they were teaching some of that about the Scandinavian people. And that intrigued her since that was her roots. Well, one day in 1963, about 40 years after she was born... She was sitting in her home with her two kids, raising her kids up, and they were getting ready to go to college. She received this magazine post, or this magazine, but it was in a different language. It was a Scandinavian language. And she looked at it, and as she was flipping through this magazine and saw it, she saw a picture of a cross and her mom's name on it, Sylvia Flood. And she dropped And she couldn't believe that her mom was in this magazine. What is this? But she couldn't read it, so she went to that local college and went to the expert and said, please tell me what this article says. And so I'm going to kind of paraphrase here in due of time. Here's what it said. It said, in 1921, these missionaries, David and Sylvia Flood, went into the Congo, the Belgian Congo, in North Deliria, where they led a young boy to the Lord. The woman, Sylvia, had a child, and the missionary mom struggled and died because of that childbirth. But the little boy became something important. He went to his chief, and he got uh, the chief to agree that we need to educate our, our children. And so he created a school as he became a young man. And in that school, every child in that school became a believer, and every one of their parents that sent their kid became a believer because he started to evangelize to everyone. And all of a sudden, this one believer, this story says, turned into 600 people. And also, that chief that kicked out David and Sylvia Flood, he became a believer too. And she was blown away. She could not believe what had happened. Because of their willingness, her parents' willingness, David and Sylvia Flood, listening to God's call to go to Africa to live a life of struggle, a life of suffering, they led one person to the Lord. But that one person touched 600 people. And that village was on fire for what God was doing. At the time of Sylvia Flood's death, it appeared to humans that God left that couple high and dry. Humans would say, what a mean God. In their greatest time of need, when the man was praying, please, Lord, give me my wife, God deserted them. But take 40 years for us to realize what God was really trying to do there. God was trying to bring grace and mercy, and he was trying to change that village. And sometimes it takes severe consequences and deep suffering for the kingdom of God to move. Does that make sense? 
Let's continue on in the message. Let's mull over some of these truths. What are we talking about today? When we look at this verse, let's mull over some of these truths about suffering because a lot of us still don't understand what suffering is and why do we have to have suffering. I just want to live a life of happiness. Listen, even if you didn't have God and you don't claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still going to suffer. So suffering's part of life. But with Christ, you get to suffer, and in that, you also get a residual blessing of that glory down the road. When you suffer for the glory of God, great things happen. Have you ever considered a struggle or suffering as a temporary privilege? Have you ever considered the thought, today, or what I went through back then, or what I've gone through 10 years ago, or as a child, was a temporary privilege for God? The truth is, in America, we don't think of that as all, at all. And the truth is, in the world, nobody believes that. But that's what Peter's trying to communicate. Did you think that this is a privilege for you to stand up and rise up and let God do a work in you and bring a testimony to all the world? The apostles did. That's why Peter's writing this text. He's referring back to a time in Acts chapter 5. When the apostles were out preaching in the Solomon's colonnade and all of a sudden the elders and the leaders jailed them. And at midnight they opened the jails and God said, go out into the temple tomorrow and preach. And the Sanhedrin looked for them. They couldn't find them. They couldn't believe they were gone. And then they found them in the, in, in the temple preaching. And they brought them before and they were furious. They wanted to execute them. They wanted them out of this world. And one guy said, spare them, because if this is of God, it's going to be a bad thing. But if not, they'll just winnow away. Well, at the end, after they were flogged and beaten, Acts chapter 5, verse 41, listen to what it says. The apostles left the council room, beaten, persecuted. They left the council room, and they were happy to be considered worthy to suffer dishonor for speaking about Jesus. Do you? One person at work or at school or in your neighborhood claims Jesus is a loser and you're like, oh, I'm never going to bring it up again. But the apostles are saying this is an honor because I was dishonored. God is going to be glorified. I'm going to take the suffering on because this is part of my inheritance. This is part of what Christ wants to do. In heaven, we honor Christ face to face. There will be a moment when you will be right before your maker and you and Jesus will be singing glorious songs and I will sound good singing up there. My vocal cords will be healed in the name of Jesus. Sorry if you heard me singing over there today. But on earth, the way that we face Jesus is through our struggles. We look at all that we've done and trust me, I know the struggles that some of you have. I've had my own, but there's greater struggles out here. I get it. But our struggles are a privilege. Our struggles, when I was in Mexico, a pastor ministered to me and said, the struggles in life are the gold nuggets in this world. Those are the things that you're going to look back to in heaven and go, man, I wish I would have done a better thing there because God can have done a mightier work. The struggles are the real gold nuggets that we are to go through and mine through our life. And find God in every aspect. And as we struggle, watch him work and do great and amazing things. Like Aggie and her parents and what they did. One to 600. We would be excited if we got one today. And we will and so will heaven. 
But 600 was powerful. We get to struggle for him, and we do that by faith. That's why we struggle and believe later down the road that God will do something powerful in us. I want to continue back in the story. The story continues to go. Dewey and his wife, Aggie, had a 25th anniversary about a year or two after they received this article. And the college that he was the president at said because they knew this story and they saw all that God did in this story, they wanted to send him to Sweden. And they wanted Aggie to find her father and tell him because they knew of this story. So they went. Now, as she got there, she'd found out her father had recently had a stroke and he was very ill. She also found out that he had four more kids and was remarried. And there was one thing that they said about his father before she met him. She said, he's a very bitter man. He has one rule, never mention God. God has taken everything from him. That's his saying. So you would never mention God to him. For 40 years, 45 years, he was bitter and an angry man. And so finally, Aggie says, I just got to see him. Can I go see him? Yes, but he's very ill. And make sure you don't say God because he'll go off. She says, fine, but she was determined. And she went into the room, and as she went into his room, all she saw was liquor bottles everywhere. He had become an alcoholic. His life was chaotic, and now he was struggling to stay alive, but his life had become, become nothing. She came him up, and she said, Papa, and he turned And he saw her for the first time. And he said, my daughter, my daughter, I never meant to leave you. I never meant to leave you. I just didn't know what to do. And she gently hugged him and said, Papa, it's okay. God has been with me. And instantly he stopped. He got cold and rigid. And he said, God has ruined our life. If it wasn't for him, none of this would have happened. We wouldn't be here. God is not for you. He's against us. And she goes, no, Papa, let me tell you a story. And she brought the article. He said, great things have happened. That one boy has led 600 people, and he broke down and started to cry. He didn't realize what God's plans were. He didn't realize that they had to suffer. They were called into the mission field for God's glory. By the end of the day, he'd reconciled and repented and let his resentment go, and he became a believer again. He accepted the Lord and put all that aside. And the truth is, it was a great timing because a few days later, he died. I want to tell you the close of the story in just a second, but here's the application today. As we are here on Mother's Day, I'm sorry to tell you a story, but here's the thing. Here's the application. Peter writes a text, and he's asking for something about you and me in this text. He's asking us to find joy in the suffering. Here's what it says. Here's the two pieces that we should take home. Our suffering helps us as Christians create a real, robust powerful fellowship with Jesus. If you've ever been in a dark place or you've lost someone or you've been hurt and you've clinged to Jesus, that relationship, that fellowship that you have is so strong that anything in this world is, you can't penetrate it with anything in this world. That's what I'm trying to say. 
And here's what uh, Peter writes. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you a partnership partner with Christ in his suffering. Our trials make us a partner with him in he, as he suffered. He suffered so that we can suffer, but we can join him in that. That suffering creates this powerful fellowship. The second thing is our suffering means glory in the future. This story shows us what the glory is. One person you suffer for and you bring them to the Lord, but later you don't know how many people they're going to impact. So here's what Peter writes. So that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed in the, at the end of the day, at the end of the world. There will be a day that your suffering will all be gone. And in the Lord, he will look at you and he will say all that you've gone through and everything that you've done, that suffering will be the joy of God through Jesus Christ. I just want to tell the end of the story because it gets better. The end of the story goes like this. Years later, Dewey and his wife Aggie went to an evangelism conference in England. And as they were in England, they were listening to a speaker, a guy from Zaire, Africa. And he was a superintendent of all the churches in his country. And he was representing 100,000 believers, 110,000 believers. And as he was up there, he was speaking eloquently of how the gospel was moving in his country. Now, Zaire happened to be former Belgium Congo. And after he spoke, Aggie went up to him and says, have you ever heard of my parents, David and Sylvia Flood? I'm their daughter. And the guy cried. And he said, I'm the little boy they evangelized. And he fell to his knees and he goes, I've been waiting for someone to come and experience what we've experienced because of what your mother did on the cross. She is a martyr. We, our whole city and, and our whole country uses her. This is a true picture of her at the foot of the cross. She says, you gotta come and see what God is doing in our country. And a few months later, she did. And as she came into the village, they treated her like a rock star. People were cheering. She is the centerpiece, and this cross is the foundation of what Christ is doing in their society. And she got before, and in this picture, she gets on her knees, and she thanks God for all the suffering. Lord, I thank you for your suffering, the suffering that you did, so that we can suffer for you, she says. She comes before the Lord. And gives him all the glory and thank you that my mom died so that thousands and thousands of people can know the Lord. And after she got up from this spot, this man was now a pastor of all these churches, gave a message in the church. And here's the end of the message. He said this in his message, John 12, 24, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But in its death, it will produce many kernels, a plentiful of harvest. If that seed doesn't die and doesn't get into the ground, nothing happens. It's by itself. That's what happens when someone dies. And here's the last thing that he said, and I know we're crying, happy Mother's Day. But here's the, here's the glory. They who sow in tears 
shall reap in joy. And that was the end of this man's sermon. And that is the end of today's sermon. Those who sow in tears will reap in beautiful joy because of who Christ is and what he can do in the midst of our suffering. Expect suffering, rejoice in suffering, and let the glory of God shine in the midst of your suffering. No matter how dark things get, we need to remember that God is never finished. He's never finished. Your life might be a wreck, but that doesn't mean that he's not done. He thinks you're a masterpiece. And in your suffering, if you rise up, God will glorify this world some way through your suffering. Do you believe that today? want to close our eyes for a moment I just want to believe in freedom today I want to believe that we put God first anything can happen in our life and I want to believe that there's that one in this room that will rise up and evangelize a whole city a whole country a whole part of this world let's pray that God will do that father we thank you that you are faithful even when we are unfaithful Lord, we thank you that you are graceful even when we turn our back on you. And we're thankful that when we believe what you're doing is bad, you know that it's good and it will do a good thing in this world. And Father, today, if there's that one in this room that needs a Savior, that needs to recommit and reconnect, now is the time to press in and experience what God has that's why we believe. If that's you today, will you say a prayer of salvation? It goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my savior so that I can be your adopted heir. I believe that you died and rose again for me and my salvation and my eternal walk. Holy Spirit, anoint me. Come over me. Fill me up so I can walk all the days of your life. Lord, we come to you weeping for joy. Let us worship you in all of your glory.